Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we chat with David Ferguson, who's the Managing Director of Strata Plus. They manage over 500 schemes. He's a councillor of the New South Wales chapter of the Urban Development Institute of Australia and former president of the Strata Community of Australia. He's a regular media commentator on Strata issues and we have a chat about what exactly Strata title is, the implications for Strata and property investors and the new Strata laws in New South Wales. Here's David. David Ferguson, thanks very much for joining us. Hi, Mark. Good, uh, great to, great to uh, be with you. Now, uh, David, you're the managing director of, of Strata Plus. Um, you, you manage over 500 schemes. You've got a team of over 50. You're a councillor of the New South Wales chapter of the UDIA, the Urban Development Institute of Australia. Um, you've been president of Strata Community of Australia and a, a regular media commentator on Strata issues. Um, that, that's quite a resume. You, you've been doing this for a fair while. Uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a great ride in Strata for the last odd twenty years. I've got to say, um, this industry is changing dramatically, and uh, I suppose with a fresh set of eyes on it coming out of uh, originally sort of corporate and banking life, I really uh, enjoyed applying all those skills into um, into this more sort of uh, environment where property is very real. It affects people's lives day to day. So I've been uh, enjoying it very much. Yeah, fantastic. Now, just so we can get a bit of a, a background into into the person that is David Ferg. And what what posters were on the bedroom wall as a youngster? Oh, I think it was probably filled with surfing and windsurfing posters. Um, yeah, I was very much into uh, into the water sports and growing up uh, around the beaches and things like that. So yeah, very uh, uh, always loved uh, loved being near the water. Awesome. You're still getting out these days. Uh, in between chasing kids, I think I'm in uh, you know, full-time administration of children's sport at the moment. But uh, you know, I live vicariously through them, as uh, as a lot of people do. <laughs> That's a full-time job for sure. So, how did you get started in the property industry, and what was your first investment? Yeah, um, I suppose starting with the first investment. Um, I decided uh, through some good strong guidance from my parents that uh, buying a small investment property would be a good idea. I think my first apartment was a uh, 29 square metre box sitting in uh, Darlinghurst in Sydney, which, wow. uh, which I rented out. Um, and um, I remember it was an absolutely exorbitant price at the time. I think it was one hundred and seventeen thousand dollars. <laughs> that wouldn't have been too big an issue, except that the interest rates at that time were seventeen percent. Right. Uh, so um, I, I look back now and I think you know at that time was it was the right thing to do. Um, I don't know if it actually financially made sense, but it certainly um, set a culture of um, of property ownership for me. And um, you know I'd always owned property the whole way through. So that was my first real property investment, and um, it was a great learning experience. And uh, at the end of the day, being able to sell that and and uh, you know leverage into uh, my next apartment, um, which was my home with my wife, was uh, was a great opportunity for us. Had I not done it, it simply wouldn't have happened. So so being able to be in the market um, for a long period of time was the thing that really made the difference. Yeah, awesome. Now, we, we certainly want to talk about the new strata laws in, in New South Wales, but just to kick things off, um, what, what's your best answer to what is strata title? Yeah, so strata title, um, it's, it's all about collective ownership. Um, it's, it's a pretty um, breakthrough piece of legislation that uh, New South Wales were leaders at the time. Um, the shared ownership, shared responsibility, um, everything is owned collectively, but for which you own as part of your own strata lot. 
So um, people have a struggle with saying what's common property. The answer with what common property is, it's everything except what you own, um, which is the airspace of your apartment effectively. And uh, just wanted to, to have a chat about strata fees, which is obviously one of the big differentiators between, say, a, a Torrance title house and, uh, and an apartment. Um, do, you, do you think it's reasonable for, for property investors to avoid units just because of the strata fees? I, I know that a lot of investors just, just look at houses for that reason. Uh, yeah, they do. But look, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I've lived in strata for more years than I've ever lived in a house. And uh, I'm in a house at the moment, which I'm doing as a social experiment to sort of see what the other side's like, so I can speak authoritatively on it. Um, look, I have a person um, come and clean my gutters because I don't particularly want to jump on a ladder and do it myself. Um, I think the amount it costs me to clean the gutters would probably add up to about half of what the strata levies would be on an apartment of a similar value. So I think people lose uh, lose touch with the fact that strata fees are actually a regular. Um, and budgetable expense, uh, which you can rely on. In a house, um, if all of a sudden you need a roof replacement and you're up for twenty or thirty thousand um, dollars, it's very hard to budget for, and you might have to dip into your savings, or um, you, know, you just don't have that. You know, on the whole, you don't have that irregularity of expense uh, when you're talk, talking about a strata property with reasonable fees. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good point. The fact that it that, that it is a budgetable expense and and the the costs are sort of mitigated by the the, the share that you have in, in the total. What, what typically is the breakdown for strata fees? Where, where is the money sort of allocated to on on sort of a percentage basis? Yeah. So um, look, as far as percentage, it, it really comes down to how well, the most expensive thing at a at any particular property. Um, is the level of on-site services. So if you're running a you know very high-end strata apartment with a concierge and you know a building manager and there's you know a lot of body count, then uh, effectively you're going to have some pretty expensive strata levies. Um, so at the other end of the scale, let's just use a you know block of 50 units for example. Um, you know you've got a good economies of scale of a number of people sharing the infrastructure. Um, you've got an executive committee who are very active in doing a lot of the repairs and maintenance themselves. Um, you'd find that they're actually pretty cost-effective, those levies. Um, but we've also got to realise there's a transition in what people do want out of their lives. Um, again, we'll use the same 50-unit building. Um, if you've got a, a building manager there who's there to you know, receive tradesmen and sign off invoices and make sure they've done the right work, etc., you, know, you might be spending a little bit of money on that person. But you know, is it actually freeing up your lifestyle to do more of the things you actually want to do? Yeah. Uh, so, definitely a consideration for for where the percentages go. So, as far as that on-site services, look, that could be anywhere from you know, we're talking a cleaner or a building manager. It could be ten through to forty or fifty percent of the of the total expenses, depending on what the regime was. Um, but if you're talking about broad numbers, somewhere between seventy and eighty percent would be the day-to-day -day administration. Uh, of the um, of the building, so that's the insurance and the um, you know the fire contractor and the cleaner and all those sort of things. And then uh, typically somewhere between twenty and thirty percent is going away for long term replacement of assets. So when that look roof does actually need replacement, you've actually got the money sitting there and don't have to dig into your pocket again. Yeah, and and what about strata managers themselves? They must be must be taking a, an exorbitant cut of of the total, surely, David. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it uh, runs to about somewhere between three and four percent of the entire budget. <laughs> so um, I sort of teed you up a little bit with that one because I was lucky enough to, to present with you a couple of years ago and, and saw that info, infographic, and, and I was quite surprised. It's it's a very low percentage of the total amount. Yeah, it it really is. Um, and that can actually work, but it also comes down to client expectation. So um, if you've got an agreement and it's very clear about what you're doing, then yes, you can be very cost effective and provide that service for literally a fraction of what um, an accountant or lawyer could um, because you're set up to do it. Um, but it's amazing, um, obviously, uh, performance and services in the eyes of the client, and they do expect you to be an absolute expert in everything. So you know, I'll, I'll have somebody ring up you know, next week saying, "Oh, look, you know, my wrist blown off. Uh, can you just come down and look at the uh, look at the rafters because of blah blah blah?" <laughs> so um, you know, <laughs> so literally, it can go from that to, "Oh, you know, my pet stuck is stuck in the tree. You know, how do I get him out?" So you know, you've got to be absolute master of, of, of everything to uh, in order to provide a great service for the client um, but that the, and I think that's probably where uh, people are getting more conscious about it if, if they want to have professionals and have um, uh, a better level of service they are prepared to to pay a little bit more uh, for accessibility and knowledge uh, but at, at the most basic level for the administration yes it can be a very cost-effective service uh, it sounds like um, we're, we're sort of missing a trick looking at shows like the the block for reality te television with some of these phone calls you're getting maybe we need to be hanging around strata managers uh, yeah it's um, an absolute slice of life is <laughs> the only way to describe it you know people of different worlds thrown in together um, you know and even um, the prevalence of things like Airbnb where uh, Know, you've got the, the you know, short-term accommodation, even backpackers, etc. You know, seeking to, to rent a, an apartment, you know, right next to um, you know the, the chairman of uh, XYZ company who's decided to retire there with his wife. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'll be a call I have tomorrow, I'm sure, because it just um, yeah, it's an absolute slice of slice of life. Um, you know, uh, all all walks uh, you know are in the same building often. <laughs> That's fantastic. So. So you've given us a little bit of an insight, but can you tell us a little bit more about what a strata manager actually does? Yeah, um, looking through the agency agreement is probably the best way to sort of get a sense of, of what the absolute responsibilities are. And um, we use the Strata Community Australia Agreement, and whilst people do consider it's a little bit long sometimes, um, you know, it's there's so much to actually do. And I think it's really important for us to describe how we actually do it. So dealing firstly with the money, um, where money comes in, uh, making sure that you can um, get it from the people in a way uh, that um, fits with legislation. Um, people don't quite realise if you get it wrong and it ends up at court, um, courts can quite easily turn around and say, um, you know, no sir, you don't have to pay. So there's a lot of pressure on us to actually get the um, the records right, the meetings have got to be correct, the notices have got to be correct uh, in order to make sure that money is collectible. Uh, so that's in relation to money coming in. In relation to money going out, um, it really comes down to risk management as well. So there's there's a way to pay people correctly and there's a way not to. Uh, we often get pressures from clients saying, oh, you know, he's uh, Joe the handyman, he's my brother's mate, can we you know do this or that with him and you know, pay him some money? We'll go. Look, could do that, but you know, please appreciate he doesn't have insurances for the work he just carried out. Mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't have, uh, you know, an ABN. He doesn't have so all these um, areas of compliance, and uh, sometimes we just have to be, uh, 
you know, deliver the, the bad news, but hopefully do it in a nice way because um, our job is to, is to fundamentally protect the asset for all owners, not just for the wishes of one or two people. Now, I, I want to ask about how you, you fit in with developers as well. So let, let's say we, we'll use your, your 50 unit development. So a, a developer's obviously constructing that, they're, they're selling it off the plan. A strata plan, of course, when needs to be established, but, but when does that happen? Who, who establishes that and, and what's your link with developers there? Yeah, so uh, I suppose a strata plan is a body that can be sued, is probably the easiest way to describe it. So it's recognised in, in the eyes of the law, it has its own ABN, um, um, its own tax file number, etc. Uh, so strata managers are instrumental in assisting developers get to the stage where that strata plan has its own life uh, with a collective group of owners. And uh, our job really is to get it set up hopefully in, in the best way that when, the, the, when those owners actually take delivery of that strata plan, that it's all working the way it should. And to get it right, it's not an easy job because there's a lot of a lot of very intricate parts. Obviously, getting the budget correct, uh, and um, I'm just talking about you know making sure the spreadsheets right. It's about what's going to be important to those future owners. So, what, how are they going to see value in their levies? Our job is really to make sure that we get the services right, get the structure right, to make sure that they're getting value at the end of the day, so that when they you know walk into their apartment. Um, you know, uh, and they've been there a few months, they go, oh yeah, that's, that is what we wanted. So that's one thing, what the bylaws look like to make sure that the way that people are interacting and, and um, the levels of compliance are correct. Is it going to be a pet friendly building or not pet friendly? Um, you know, are there bits of common property that need to be um, assigned to one person or another and they need to pay the expenses to make sure that all the costs are fair in the end? What uh, lot, lot happens in the background to make sure that it all fits right at the end? And, and I guess for, for investors, there's there's some due diligence they need to do when they're looking at a, an apartment, and part of that is is looking at the strata plan and how that is set up. What what will a strata check do, and, and how important is that when when someone's looking at purchasing, let's say, an established unit? Uh, with an established unit, strata checks are uh, virtually a necessity. Uh, there's a substantial amount of information that, that goes into them. So the professional searchers who, who go through those records are very practiced in what they do and uh, they can get a very quick sense of, uh, of what's happening with the building. Uh, the financial records are, um, are important, making sure that it's insured, uh, insured correctly, all very important as well. They're, they're part of your risk management process. When uh, an inspector walks in, the, the other thing they're really going to look at is how much is in the bank balances. Uh, if uh, if the building's been going for 30 years and they've got you know $2 in the bank and there's substantial works on the agenda uh, with no way to pay for them, uh, then it's very important that that prospective purchaser be made aware of that. Uh, now that is going to repress the price of that apartment, so people shouldn't necessarily think that um, you know being um, not having money is necessarily a bad thing because everybody's doing inspections and they're all looking at these uh, these apartments and, and they're going to be pricing their offers accordingly. You then potentially have the option of jumping in, becoming a strata committee member uh, and um, guiding the process and how the building gets fixed up, uh, making it uh, the best value use of, of the money you input uh, and then uh, ending, ending up with a great asset at the end of the day. So um, you go into it with eyes wide open so you're actually looking at, at that report uh, and um, yeah, if, if it doesn't have money, then calculate that into your price of purchase. 
You, you sort of touched on something that I think people are, are pretty fearful of, and that is you know, potentially purchasing a unit that doesn't have uh, enough money set aside for, for repairs and maintenance and that sort of thing. Is, is it fairly common for, for special levies to exist, or is that a bit of an indication that maybe there's been some budgeting problems? So I, I haven't got any stats on this, but the number of special levies in buildings is decreasing, is in my broad view. Right. And the reason is that uh, about 10 years ago, um, the government followed a Queensland um, initiative, and that is to have uh, sinking fund assessments, or capital works as we call it now, assessments for every building. So there's actually a requirement that one of those be on file for every strata scheme in New South Wales within 12 months of, of the building actually registering. So that's the first document you really need to look at uh, when, you, when you're searching and then seeing how much money there should be in there in accordance with the plan, and secondly whether that plan's been executed. Uh, so if those plans are followed, um, there really shouldn't be the need for special levies unless you're doing something that's not part of the original building. Now that is a government initiative around making sure that people have certainty of, uh, of levies and certainty of funding and I think it's been successful, whilst it's been a, been a bit of a slow burner, I think it's actually been relatively successful in, uh, in changing the culture of the way people view um, saving for their strata plans uh, for the future. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the, the strata fees. Are, are there some main assets or facilities that result in extremely high fees or, or is that more about the sort of the boots on the ground that you referred to previously? Yeah, um, I'm glad you asked that question um, because I think it is a bit of a um, uh, an incorrect steer to say that um, uh, assets of a building actually cost strata levies. Um, they, they don't. It's actually the day-to-day -day labour that costs the costs the most amount of money. So if you've got a fountain or a pool or whatever, they're pretty definable costs. Um, if you had to heat the pool, that changes the changes the game a bit. Um, but in in comparison with insurance and um, the labour costs of on-site people. Um, you know the actual assets of the building are not not too bad in in my view, um, and I suppose from the assets point of view, you are getting something back. Uh, I'll pick on a very you know, wonderful luxurious development we look after here in Sydney, and uh, I was doing a tour of the swimming pool the other day, talking to the building manager, and um, he said, um, you know, no one ever uses this pool. I said, oh, do you think they'll ever get rid of it? They went, oh, no, we'd never get rid of it. <laughs> we love the pool. <laughs> so what's, it's important to people to have these things, yeah. and often they don't use it, but sometimes it's just the joy of, of having. And there might be you know, wonderful gardens as well. You know, you're overlooking you know, um, something. You know, that is now a shared expense. You know, it, it's not a pool that, that you're having to maintain and put all the chemicals in yourself. Uh, as a single owner, you're now sharing the cost of those chemicals and the maintenance with 50 other people. So um, I think it would give great value and, and I don't think uh, owners or, or investors for that matter should be particularly scared about um, uh, you know, actually having some, some assets that define the building as a great place to live. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm harping on the, the strata fees and, and I guess playing devil's advocate a, a little bit there because I, I know it is certainly a fear that some investors have that they want to steer away from it. If, 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 we, if we take, say, your, your case study of a, of a 50 unit development, let's say we've got two side by side, is it necessarily a, a, a better thing that one development has lower strata fees? Uh, I think, well, the market's maturing. 
um, a lot of people who are buying into strata now, and especially investors, this is not their first investment. Yeah. Uh, they've actually owned two or three before, and I've literally been to, to first annual general meetings before, and I'll see somebody in the crowd, and I know they're a regular investor, and they'll look through the budget, and they go, yeah, that's okay, but guess what, that needs to be this figure. Yeah, so they're actually telling us that um, we want the strata levies to be what they should be. Right. Um, you know, don't don't shave any corners because they don't want any long-term concerns, and they and they want to up, you know, have the the building maintained. Um, the biggest strata levies are a small small part of the pie. The biggest factor is really the rent and what you, what you're obtaining. Yeah. Uh, so if the building's not presentable uh, and you're not attracting the right quality tenant, uh, then the numbers can get very shaky. So it's a much bigger using problem the, than a tax deductible strata fee, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, so I've looked at those two buildings, and actually I've got a great example of um, two 300-unit buildings in Sydney side by side. We had um, one committee who went on a, a um, you know, strata, um, what we call it, um, <laughs> it was a crusade to reduce the levies. Right. Uh, so we were actually terminated as a strata agent, and um, yeah, they went off. They're now on their fourth strata manager. Right. Um, their levies are now one and a half times what <laughs> what our buildings is, and our buildings has just actually consistently followed CPI the whole way through. So, so as an investment, um, yeah, you've got to look at the value of levies, not not just the low the low dollar figure. You know, what's it actually giving to you that makes your building more valuable as a whole, either either from a, um, you know, avoiding some special levies or alternatively you know, potential resale and holding holding the value of um, of that building. You've, you've you've touched on something that sort of leads into another question I wanted to ask you, and that was how a potential purchaser can identify a, a development with strata problems. Obviously, you've, you've talked about these sometimes rogue entities, um, and obviously proxy harvesting is, is something that we want to have a chat about. I know there's been some legislation changes there, but can you provide a, a advice to someone to, to, to fairly um, you know fairly easily spot if there are problems with with a, with a strata plan? Yeah, I think um, reading the correspondence file, um, even as a non a non professional, is going to give you an, an absolute sense of whether there's harmony at the building. Yeah. And harmony is is a um, is an important thing because you get, you get things done when you're in a harmonious environment. Um, but again, please, you, know, you shouldn't be too scared of it if you, if you do see it not going well, um, the difference between uh, you know anarchy and harmony is actually one person. Yeah. So somebody who's come in with a with a you know a sensible platform, they don't have any you know, baggage or, or poor history, they haven't taken sides, and they just want to get on with it. Um, you know, you can find you can have a very dramatic change in uh, in the way a building runs in a short period of time uh, if you're prepared to invest the time yourself. Uh, and look, we've seen that people who actually run around literally buying distressed assets, you know, poor, poor buildings with poor committees, and they'll, they'll look in and go, oh, great, you know, that's all pretty bad. That's a great opportunity for me because I'm getting it for a cheaper price. I know what I'm doing. I can, I can make this building really great in a short period of time. And away they go. Mm, excellent. These might be good people to, to follow around if, if you want to send us through their details. We'll, we'll share that. <laughs> uh, that could be a hot investing tip. Now, um, I, 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 want, I want some dirt, David. What, what are some of the common conflicts within, within these developments? Yeah, common conflict. I think one of the biggest things that people struggle with is um, the cost of getting value out of or perceived value out of builders, developers. Um, 
and when you're putting a building together, um, you know, it's it's a complicated asset, and we've we've had some great developers put great assets together. Um, committee members who haven't practiced, um, you know, in this area a lot, um, can often get a bit carried away. So they might see something which they think is um, defective or someone needs to be held accountable for, and the reality is that it may be something that um, contractually nobody's really responsible for apart from just the developer issuing the good product. Right. Now, the problem with that is, I suppose, the enforcement. It is hard to bring people to, or you know, bring developers to heel sometimes, um, but nothing money can't solve. But uh, <laughs> the problem with that is, I suppose, lawyers who are happy to, uh, to take that money and not be um, overly uh, concerned about the the actual outcome. So, so I see a lot of money wasted on legal fees uh, when a really good, simple agreement uh, between parties, a documented agreement, could um, could end up with a great result. So, um, you know, if, if you're seeing a notice corporation that's you know spent a hundred thousand dollars on legal fees to try and you know get a scratch kitchen bench fixed, um, you know, it's really gone wrong at that point. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's probably probably the biggest biggest concern we're seeing in this uh, in this market at the moment. With, with established developments, is is can there be a bit of a conflict when it comes to say increasing the levies to to, to to better cover future expenses when there are some owners that maybe are thinking that they're looking to sell the property within a couple of years? Uh, I think you can. Um, people always come to a committee with uh, their own burning interests. Uh, I think it might be one in five committee members who, who genuinely um, try and do the right thing by everybody. But uh, people, we call them single issue committee members. Uh, you, you don't see them for years and all of a sudden they turn up because they want something and you know, they either get it or they don't and then they disappear shortly afterwards. Right. Uh, so um, yeah, you do have that diversity of opinion. That's something that needs to be managed. Could I just say, if sinking or capital works assessments are followed uh, from day one, then you don't really have the arguments. It's a much better place to be for a strata committee and a strata manager to decide how to spend the money um, than how to get the money. Yeah, and and, and that's something that, that um, obviously we, we have a bit of exposure with as well in, in preparing sinking funds. But um, it, it's amazing how, how often people are wanting to say, you know, we want to exclude this, we want to take this out, just to minimise that, that cost. So that, that can be a bit of an issue as well, can't it? Uh, yeah, look, I'm mean, certainly cherry, cherry picking um, those sort of things is uh, not particularly productive use of time. Um, but yeah, like, I think we're encouraged though that the market does seem to be a lot more rational about um, strata fees and levies these days. And they're much more accepting of the need to maintain buildings correctly. And yeah, I'm only seeing improvement over that. Well, that's got to be good, good news. For, for new apartment buyers, you advocate looking at a similar development that's maybe 10 years old. Um, it's something that I've, I've, I've read you, you, you post on before. What, what's the reason for this and, and what can we learn from that as an exercise? Uh, as far as the track record of a developer, do you mean? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that it, it ties into the, to the track record and, and also the potential of, of maintenance expenses. You're able to sort of see a little bit into the future as to, to what's incurred on that on that building. Yeah, you'll um, you'll definitely see um, and let's pick 250 unit buildings um, side by side, one brand new, one 10 years old. Um, the levy should be the same. 
Right. And in all honesty, they should be. <laughs> so if they're not, uh, then there's there's got to be reasons for it. First one to be would be to look at the on-site labour. Is there a difference of opinion, of opinion around that? But uh, the the levies that are struck for day one in a new strata building um, should be um, the same as um, the levies in year ten of a ten-year-old building, because it's all about the consistent accumulation of resources for long-term replacement of assets in the building. And, and is this happening in your experience in the real world in this case study? Would, would that likely to be the case or is it more often than not that there is a reasonable discrepancy? Uh, I think, yeah, there are discrepancies but there's reasons for them. Right. Uh, so that 10-year-old 50-unit building, if it's looking really tired and the committee are just not doing a great job, they've got no money, um, that's great. The levies alone, but the building's a disaster. <laughs> so, you know, so you know, there's, yes, there's reasons why, but you can always point it out. And um, but let's just, you know, put a, um, you know, comparison of two two buildings, one ten year old one, which is really well run, well managed, well maintained, and and a brand new building with the same opportunities um, should be the same. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about the new laws, um, and if we if we could, um, I especially wanted to start with the collective sales changes. That's something that got a little bit of, uh, of press, and it was a pretty contentious issue. What's going on here? Uh, that is probably the most exciting policy decision which we've had happen in New South Wales uh, in recent memory. So, uh, invariably. Um, the people, uh, when you're looking at a, you know, a strata asset, it's all about the collective ownership. And people are owning this land collectively as well. Um, in each of the examples I've seen where um, a building didn't want to, let's say, renew or, you know, or sell, sell out for a profit, um, it's never really been the little old lady who's worried about a, uh, being displaced from her um, her home, it's typically a greedy investor who slowed it down. So this legislative change um, has been pretty well thought out because all the protections have been built in to make sure the little old lady is well looked after, but they've also given her the, the opportunity or protection to actually sell her asset and not get ripped off by other people. So everyone's kind of missing that point, and and, and with respect, I've not met a, a, a little old lady who um, at this point would not take double or triple her unit value um, if she needed to move, uh, you know, to a building down the road. Uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, it, there's got to be an economic decision behind behind this, and if the economics stack up, then people generally say yes. The little old lady did, did feature pretty heavily in, in some of the, the press articles. So uh, es essentially the, the, rule, the rules have changed in the, the, the percentage of people that are in agreement on, on whether to say to dispose of the assets. So, so what, what's the difference with the numbers there? So it's followed the special resolution um, methodology. Um, so I won't step through the process too much, but to, let's just say that to, in order for it to happen, it would probably take two or three years and you'd have to have a lot of very considered owners who agree that it's a good idea. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like you can actually rip, you know, rip, rip an apartment out from somebody's feet and, uh, and they'll be thrown out tomorrow. It's just not going to happen that way. Uh, but certainly what we're seeing in, in this market, especially when land's at um, very short supply here, is um, the opportunities are there. 
so I did some consulting work for a block in Castle Hill, um, and just giving you a really worked example. So three three um, low-rise blocks of twenty apartments who all decided it's time to sell. So they're apartments that are worth probably seven to eight hundred thousand. Um, they were looking at getting somewhere between two and two point five mil each if they were to sell to um, to um, a developer wow. to um, to actually do that. So. Um, and and yeah, that, that's a really worked example. And, and certainly in that room where I presented to those owners, <clears throat> there were plenty of elderly people who were going, "How can we make this happen? Because we want to do something with our money, <laughs> yeah. and we want to do this." And sure enough, there was one greedy person who was like, "No, I don't want to do it because he wanted more money." Right. Now it was nothing about sense of players. He was an investor. So I think this legislation's actually helped people as an enabler. Uh, and there's some great protections as well to make sure that no one's, you know, it gets in, oppressive conduct means that the whole thing will get thrown out. Um, so if anyone's forced to do it, it's just not going to happen. But um, you're in a collective ownership and, um, you know, you should be able to make decisions as a group without getting held out by somebody who's green mailing the, um, uh, the group. Yeah, awesome. So, sorry, don't let me finish. Oh, no, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I mean, that's a fantastic insight and, and I know that you, you've both been involved in the, in the consulting process for the new legislation and you're, you're also able to see uh, on the other side what, what's happening in the real world. So, I mean, that, that's a great insight. Um, what, what about um, the changes for, for defects bonds for, de to, for developers? Yeah, so it's interesting to look at where the, the genesis came for this. I mean, certainly it was wide. Uh, community support, and uh, I was just reading a paper from the Law Society the other day, and they were very much in, in favour of of making sure there was a defects bond. So, looking at the genesis for this, um, there's you don't really have in a um, commercial environment where you know Dexas goes and puts up a big commercial building, um, and they do it on behalf of a um, you know for the Superfund client, etc. The buildings get built pretty well, <laughs> and um, sort of looking at you know why do those buildings get together really well, and then you know your residential building of 30 apartments, um, you know we're littered with defects, and, and uh, you know lawyers are all over the place. Yeah. And I think the government, well, the problem is it's about accountability because um, the end purchaser in a strata building is not generally associated with building it. So when it comes to retention money and everything else, they just not. Um, yeah, there's a real gap between the two. So the defects bond is an absolute um, move to try and put end owners in touch with the quality of the building um, you know, via, via the release of a bond um, of 2% which needs to be put together um, by, by the developer um, in order to promote the project. And that's likely going to mean that, it, that any defects are, are going to be sort of um, shepherded through a little bit quicker, would you be thinking? Uh, yeah, I think there's. Uh, I think for good. Well, let's talk about good developers and builders. Um, for them, it's just another process, and it's not really going to change the world much. Yep. Uh, for a um, a poor um, developer or builder, um, they've probably already written it off, and they'll probably behave the same anyway. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think the track record of the of the builder and developer is. Um, is pretty critical in um, in any purchase. You know, looking at who you're buying from. Getting um, getting back to our, our property investor who who hates investing in in units. Um, one of the big fears is is renovations. It can be a convoluted process, and you need to get a, approvals. So so renovations um, and and the process to to go through to be able to do that has has changed with the legislation. What, what's changed there? 
Yeah, there's um, a lot more flexibility to put in um, what we call works bylaws. Um, you, you've now got the ability to delegate a lot of the approvals um, into strata committees if they're done under a predetermined um, approach. Uh, but look, re renovations sh shouldn't be uh, feared as long as they're done right. I think people sort of think they can walk in and you know, start off with their carpenter on day one and think it's all going to fall behind them. Um, it doesn't. You know, it does take a little bit of planning and approaching and letting your owners corporation know what's going on, um, either fitting within the terms of the current bylaws or alternatively arranging for your own bylaw um, that sets out the what you're doing and how it happens and the, um, the liabilities and the hours of work and all those sort of bits and pieces. Um, seems a little bit um, way around, but um, it gives certainty and security to everybody. And um, if it's done well, then uh, renovations can happen quite smoothly. Excellent. Okay. And I guess that's that's what people want to strike a balance between the ability to, to get renovations without um, you know happening without too much red tape, and and also for the other owners in the building to 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 have the security that it's going to be done you know correctly and, and, and done right not necessarily detract away from their enjoyment of the development or, or enjoyment of capital growth as well I guess. Oh for sure and, and don't forget the it really comes down to the human factor uh, you know if you're going to renovate your apartment and you're going to either lease it out or sell it uh, you're going to add to the overall value of the collective asset mm. and I think sometimes just you know having that sort of um, you know, round table meeting, say, hey, we want to achieve this, we think it's a great opportunity, we're going to do our best to minimise it for you, here's my mobile if you're concerned, you give me a call direct. Um, yeah, never underestimate the human factor in actually getting things through uh, and getting everybody on board with whatever your plans are um, because it can make it a lot smoother. Yeah, it's funny how people can just get their nose out of joint just because the, the simple courtesy of letting them know that something has happened has, has been sort of missed. Um, I, I want to talk oh. about... Um, oh, sorry, I'll let you go. Uh, no, I was just going, yeah, just supporting the point there. Uh, if um, people, Some people just don't like change. And, yeah. you know, I remember the, the funniest story, um, well, they just don't like anything different. And uh, I remember one building we had uh, in uh, Rose Bay and um, somebody parked a boat in the car space. And they were saying, oh, you know, David, you know, the strata manager, you've got to get rid of that boat from somebody's car space. And I'm going... It's their car space. Yeah. Why do you want to get rid of the boat? Oh, we don't think it looks right. I'm like, it's a car park, seriously. <laughs> but sure enough, they put a bylaw in place that stopped people putting boats there. So that's probably the silliest bylaw I've ever seen. But yeah, don't underestimate the, the people just don't sometimes like things that are different. And if you can uh, smooth it through with a, with a human human touch, it certainly makes life easier. Mm, yes, uh, I've seen a similar few examples of that myself. Um, uh, let's let's talk about that um, that that rogue agent meets the the single issue um, committee members. Proxy harvesting has been a thing in the past where um, someone can go around and, and collect you know, the absentee votes and uh, affect a bit of change or, or bend things to their will. Um, is that something that you, you have seen a lot in the past and, and, and how much more difficult is that going to be with the new legislation? Yeah, um, I think giving you a, a worked example is probably the best one. Um, I was at a building and um, so I know I'm using a lot of um, large large building examples but uh, in some respects there you always get the most the best examples there because uh, the issues often get magnified yeah. <laughs> just because of the sheer number of people okay. um, yeah so block of a couple of hundred apartments and the, they'd always given the proxies to the chairman in order to actually get a quorum so they could save money and not have an adjourned meeting that's all great um, 
except that uh, there was a no smoking bylaw which was on the agenda. And this room of, you know, I guess it's probably 25 people, including the chairman, um, all voted to put this bylaw in place to stop um, people smoking on common property and also the transmission of smoke between lots. And everyone put their hands up and then the chairman who had all these proxies given to him went, oh no, I vote against it. Guess what, chairman was a smoker. Right. So um, <laughs> the ability to, um, to pervert justice has always sort of been there because all those people who gave proxies did not give him their proxies to, for the purpose of voting down the no-smoking bylaw. <laughs> they gave it for the quorum. So misuse of proxies is something which has been um, yeah, definitely bubbling along in the industry for a while. Um, in Queensland, um, it doesn't happen. You can't have a, um, any more than a certain number of proxies and that was one of the bits of our, our legislative change which got picked up. Um, so you've now got limits on proxies, um, only up to 5%, 5%. Um, so 50 in a building, um, it's, it's literally a couple of people. So, but the thing that's really changed with proxies is you don't really need them anymore anyway because we've got a new thing called pre-meeting voting and that means that every agenda item on, on a particular agenda, you've got the ability to record your decision uh, and put that into the meeting uh, so that your vote's recorded um, in your own right, without, without anybody being able to change it, um, you know, or assigning your responsibility to anybody else. Yeah, and, and that's been described as the use of new technology, but um, technology's maybe a bit of a, of a stretch, isn't it? I mean, it's just the ability to, to be able to remotely cast your vote. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, so our software system for the buildings we're using um, in Port Stevens and Newcastle actually allows for um, this pre-meeting voting where you can literally receive it electronically, you can vote um, by clicking buttons and, and then it returns back to the agent and the minutes are virtually done before you even turn up to the meeting. Um, so um, yes, it, it is a potentially manually based um, and all paper, but um, you know, good, good systems are actually wrestling with this pretty well and keeping the administration costs down. Um, and I think that's, um, it's, it's called pre-meeting pre electronic voting. Um, it also ties back into the, just the natural transmission of, of documents electronically now as well. So it was always a bit ambiguous as to whether, um, you know, that the proxy which was received, um, you know, via fax or, or via email, etc., um, did it actually constitute a bit of paper or not? Quite clearly, it should have been. Um, but under um, acts that uh, that get very outdated, um, there was a bit of conjecture around that over the years. So, so it's been cleaned up. So yes, it is called electronic, but it just means that you know, there's a there's a freer flow of information through electronic means uh, and potentially system-based as well. Yeah, excellent. Um, is, are there any other changes that you think are, are worthy of note sort of, um, you know, under the scope of, 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 of investing particularly? Um, I think, well, certainly um, when it comes to um, uh, the capital works funds, um, you know, making sure that they don't need just happen, um, but they actually have to be reviewed. So the last legislation we had on it said you should have one, um, but it didn't really say um, getting one once is enough. <laughs> so now you've actually got to get it out and look at it. Um, so we're pretty happy about that. Um, there's a bit of an improvement around there. A lot of the um, the minor things that happen, um, so certainly from the property management side, side of things, minor cosmetic work including installing hooks and things to hang on walls, etc. Uh, once upon a time, um, wasn't really allowed uh, under the bylaws, but now it's said, look, you can do that, not fall afoul of the owner's corporation. So, so a bit of an improvement around um, 
um, the way uh, the legislation's matched into what people are doing. Yep. Um, the um, the other thing that's really changed a bit is, I guess, the natural appetite of um, animals in strata. Uh, so certainly, when we all sorry, excuse the beeps. Uh, certainly, when we um, uh, you know started in strata many years ago, they were investment places often, and you know the concept of having having pets wasn't a strong one for strata. Uh, with the number of downsizers now, empty nesters, etc., wishing to bring their dogs with them, dogs and cats, etc. Um, this legislation, the default position for bylaws is yes, pets are okay. Um, and you can always stop that, but um, yeah, the default position in the eyes of the government has changed a bit to actually be more more conscious that pets are part of uh, a modern society and um, um, has a bit more um, open approach to it. Yeah, I think that's definitely important. I mean, they are a big part of modern society and, and there are implications for tenants as well that can, can find it difficult to find accommodation that, that has that allowance. Um, for sure. Um, the only other thing is, I suppose, just around agency agreements and the requirement of uh, an owner's corporation to have a current in-term agency agreement with the strata agent. Uh, so a lot of uh, strata managers who've been, you know, had an agreement signed 10 years ago uh, can't do that anymore. You actually need to have engaged with the client and have them agree uh, uh, to be managed by you, um, otherwise you don't get to keep the management fees. So um, yeah, that's a pretty significant change in uh, in approach. So um, if uh, if people haven't heard from their strata managers and signed an agreement, then um, yeah, they certainly should be asking the questions of what's happening. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, the real estate uh, industry at, at large has, has has sort of been across that for for a long, long time. So. Um, yeah, I mean that, that that sounds positive to me. Uh, you 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 mentioned that your your social experiment of living in a house. Um, I did want to sort of weigh into that units versus houses sort of debate um, from an investing point of view. I, I guess if if there's any thread for for this podcast is that we want to sort of ban emotional in, investment. Uh, and I think a lot of a lot of that comes down to emotional investment. So obviously, you know, ignoring the, the capital growth and, and all that sort of thing, well, how has this um, this experiment opened your eyes to, to the houses versus units debate? Uh, well, it's making making the apartment factor look very good value. <laughs> I think as a as a as a living proposition, uh, and I do say it's a social experiment because uh, my wife and I um, absolutely know that we'll be back in an apartment, um, you know, within a very short number of years. So uh, you know, kids are uh, uh, you know sort of fourteen, fifteen now, and um, you know the backyards. Uh, yeah, the the, de you know, the decreasing use, you know, once you start getting to those years, and uh, uh, it's just the way pe people are living now. Um, even as as we spend time as a family, um, we tend tend to um, eat out or, or go to places. Uh, it it really um, changes the approach. So you sort of look at the backyard, and it's absolutely beautiful, and you just go, well, you know, wouldn't we rather live somewhere that's a little bit closer to to the things we do? So. Um, yeah, I think um, we're probably atypical of what's happening in a lot of families as well. It's not really just the empty nesters, it's also um, changes in uh, in family units and the way they're deciding to live as well. Uh, what's changing a bit is also the, the market mix in, uh, in what's arriving um, now. So certainly the, just putting up, uh, you know, blocks of two-bedroom apartments, of course they rent well. Um, developers, uh, yeah, yeah, it's one 
possible avenue, but there's a lot of people who are specialising in in bringing a product to market um, that will be better finished, better built, better amenity. You know, they've designed in a small home office. They've uh, designed in you know um, occasional accommodation for for um, kids and things like that. But they're very much focused on uh, on uh, couples who uh, who want a um, different lifestyle. Yeah, well, I guess the developers are going to move towards towards people what people want, aren't they? I mean, obviously there will be some people that are just chasing how many can I jam on this particular site and what can I sell them for. But um, yeah, that, that's certainly not the experience everywhere, is it? I mean, a lot of uh, developers are really designing their their products um, on you know the premier end and and with an idea about you know what the amenities are and the nearby facilities and that sort of thing, aren't they? Uh, they are, and uh, the people who are buying those are actually cashed up because they're still getting great prices for their houses, yeah. uh, and um, you know it's left them a bit of play money, and uh, as well as moving into um, to a different place where they actually want to live too. So, yeah, it's working well. Now I want to um, just wrap this up for you, David. You're, you're a busy man, but I did want to just uh, ask you the, the question uh, from an investor point of view: if, if there's one piece of advice that you could provide, what what would that be? Um, in in the context of a, an existing building, I suppose, or yeah, well, I mean, an existing building is, is probably a, a better example. So so let's 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 imagine that it's an existing apartment that's been around for let's say five, ten, fifteen years. Yeah, um, look, I think um, you know strata investments are a great asset class, and you've got more ability to control the outcome um, of that asset than anything you could ever possibly do, say in you know, managed funds for example. Uh, you know, you can you can actually invest your time to change your returns um, by a bit of active um, involvement um, in, in the building. So don't don't be scared to be involved. That's the whole push of the legislation. They're really trying to get uh, people uh, actively involved in, in strata communities and uh, we'd love to see more of it. Yeah, I mean, Alan Joyce is not going to pick up the phone if you have some suggestions on how to, to increase the revenue of, of Qantas, but you can impart yeah. <laughs> a, a bit of influence on, on your strata fund, can't you? That's why I joined the industry. You know, coming out of banking where uh, it was very transactional, you're just watching piles of paper fly across the desk and uh, you know, joining the strata sector at age 25 uh, and you know, being able to directly affect the, you know, people's lives um, in positive ways is... Um, it's pretty good. So I think um, those sort of ideals um, for a strata investor uh, can certainly permeate through the building and, and end up with a, a much better um, place to live or invest. Awesome. So how do people get in touch with yourself, David? Uh, probably the easiest way is through our website. That's uh, strataplus.com.au. And uh, you'll see uh, we've got five branches throughout New South Wales. And um, you can uh, click through to our Port Stephens Strata branch or alternatively just uh, work with um, our Strata Plus team here. And uh, we'd love to hear from, uh, from anyone. Fantastic. Thanks very much for your time, David. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Talk to you.